how you doing? I hope that uh, you find you doing well. Welcome to another edition of Tim's Takeaway. Today, for this episode, we're going to discuss abdominal and gastrointestinal, gastrourological trauma. And riveting stuff, right? Anyway, yeah, you know, uh, the abdominal area, when it comes to trauma, is probably one of those areas that we have a tendency as EMS providers to be very curious about um, on one aspect. And then on the other aspect, we're a little nervous about the whole thing because there's so many organs that um, I think that just as humans, we find the abdominal area to be uh, one that could be challenging. So the area that we're dealing with is, again, that abdomen that's going to extend from the diaphragm. Remember, the diaphragm is going to divide the abdominal area as well as the chest cavity, so the thorax. And then we're going to go distally, and it's going to go to the pelvis. So as soon as we go down to the pelvis, this is where we're now going to include digestive issue or digestive organs, the urinary organs, and our... Uh, basically our genitalia, right? All of those things are going to potentially cause some problems for us. So understanding the functions of these organ systems can give us some reasons or some ideas as to why when we assess these folks that we can look for those injuries and recognize the seriousness of the trauma that can be involved here. Injuries to the, to the abdominal area that truly go unrecognized are those things that may not get repaired in a surgical suite quickly and therefore becomes a leading cause of traumatic death. So let's back up and we're going to, or we're going to start, and we're going to take a look at the anatomy and physiology of that area, right? So our abdominal quadrants. We need to take a look at the abdominal quadrants and realize that we're going to typically divide that into four quadrants. So in uh, some medical literature, you're going to see that the abdominal area could be divided into six areas. It could be divided into nine. For us in EMS, we are going to keep it simple to the four quadrants. And the easiest thing to do is to go ahead and draw that imaginary line down the midline. And it's going to just extend past the sternum and it's gonna go right through the belly button. So where your umbilical button or that belly button is, you're going to then draw a horizontal line, imaginary please, draw that horizontal line and now anything that is um, going to be above it is now going to be the upper quadrants and anything that is gonna be below that line is going to be the lower quadrants. And then it's gonna be uh, respective to the right and to the left. Now, inside here, we have to worry about all the quadrants to deal with bruising. But the right lower quadrant is one of those that's pretty common for some type of swelling and inflammation. And, you know, this is where we hear all about uh, the appendix, right? Well, we also have to make sure that we recognize that there are hollow and solid organs. So the abdomen does have both. And when you talk about the hollow organs, 
We're talking about usually what I refer to as more of the digestive type things. We're talking about the stomach. We're looking at the intestines. Um, we could get to the uterus. And we can also talk about the bladder. Now, these are usually things that, as I said earlier, they're kind of dealing with the digestive system. So they may have food. Um, they're digested food anyway. Urine that is being passed from the bladder. Um, or we could also be dealing with bile. So when these rupture, the contents spill into the peritoneal cavity. And this is where we can develop a lot of inflammation, infection. Um, they get the peritonitis, right? So they're everything is inside the abdominal cavity. And we call it the peritoneal cavity. And as a result of that inflammation, we're going to blend that back to medical terminology. And now we're going to call that the peritonitis, right? So the itis is going to be that inflammation. Now, this can be something that becomes very serious and may actually become very life-threatening. So look for signs that are going to indicate that the patient may have severe abdominal pain. Look for tenderness during your exam. Um, look for any type of muscular spasm. And this blood supply that is inside the intestine comes from the mesentery. So this is a, a tissue fold that connects the small intestine to the abdominal wall. So our mesentery um, blood flow is really where it's coming from in that intestinal um, wall. And patients with those injuries to the mesentery can bleed significantly. And there's nowhere for that blood to go but into the peritoneal cavity. So you may find some rigid, uh, the abdomen may become rigid. And you may also see some bruising that's going around the um, belly button. Now, when you start talking about rigid, rigidity, you may notice the rigidity, uh, rigidity of the abdomen during your assessment. But you are not going to notice that unless you actually put your hands on. Solid organs, on the other hand, are going to be things that I think of filtering, right? These are usually things that um, are dealing with enzymes. We're talking about cleaning up the blood and particularly looking at ways in which we can deal with any type of energy production. This may include things such as the liver, the spleen, our pancreas, and kidneys. Now, because they have a lot of big, rich blood supply, this is where a lot of hemorrhage can occur to these solid organs. And this is what makes it very severe. And the problem you already can recognize, hopefully you can recognize, is that if these organs have ruptured, they are going to bleed significantly. And this may be a reason why we have a person that is experiencing shock-like symptoms and we really can't find any other cause for it. You always have to think back to the abdomen. Okay, because it's going to take a lot of blood to fill up that abdominal area, that peritoneal cavity, till you start recognizing some symptoms. So some injuries that we start to deal with, these things could be open or closed. And we may be involving just the hollow organs. And we also have to make sure that we could also be involving the solid organs. So a lot of times it may not be very easy for us to identify. But 
Closed abdominal injuries are usually resulting from any type of blunt trauma. Remember, typically with blunt trauma, it doesn't it's not going to break the skin so much in the abdominal area. But here you can also talk about maybe some type of compression. This may be because somebody wore a seatbelt incorrectly, particularly the one that's going over their, their lap. There could be um, a pattern in which, um, you know, the injury pattern is actually causing a, a, um, a clamping, like uh, uh, the organ system, the organ can actually be, almost think of it as kinked. Also um, can have issues in which the patient may be run over or could be rolled over by a vehicle if they were um, either ejected or you're looking at a mechanism of injury such as a car pedestrian. Don't forget about those deceleration forces as well because as we move forward, as we're going forward, we have the speed of the vehicle going, we'll say, 65 miles an hour and now um, your organ systems are doing the same thing, right? Your body's going 65. The seatbelt keeps you in place, but the organs that are inside your body are still moving at 65. So it means that we have to account for how quickly everything stopped. What did it hit? Don't forget that we have airbags and vehicles today that we also have to consider the way that people are sitting inside those vehicles as well. So look for, look for pain. This may be diffuse. It may be all over. Um, it may also be referred to another body location. So it's not an uncommon thing for injuries that occur to the spleen or to the liver to have what we call as referred pain, and that would be going to the shoulder area. Blood and fluid that enters into that peritoneal cavity does produce acute pain, and it's usually to the entire abdomen. So the pain spreads as that blood um, starts to fill those voids inside the peritoneal cavity. By the way, keep in mind that it's not just blood that can cause this. If we're talking about any other type of contaminants from those hollow organs can cause some problems as well as it fills up that void space. So trying to determine the location of the pain or wherever that referred pain may be can be difficult, particularly if the patient is guarding. Now, guarding is, is that you really don't want anybody touching that area. Um, you know, they may really try to stiffen up so that there nobody is coming near it. It's almost like you're uh, cradling somebody. And I think that many of us have experienced some type of pain or you know, you've had a GI issue in which you were uh, feeling like you had a lot of discomfort there, whether it be from, you know, uh, the nausea, vomiting, diarrhea type issue. And you really, you hold your belly. It's not that you're really making it feel a lot better, but you're kind of guarding it. I call it like, you know, you're holding your baby belly or whatever it may be. So look for those. The abdominal area to distend or swell. If that occurs, it's usually between the xiphoid process and the groin. And it's usually free fluid. That could be blood or could be any type of contents that are spilling into the peritoneal cavity. Now, the problem with this is, is that it may be very difficult for you to recognize that the abdomen, abdomen is becoming distended. In addition to that, it's going to take a lot of fluid to actually do that. And 
particularly in the United States, when you talk about the obesity rates, it could be very difficult to identify whether or not an individual has distended their abdomen. Now, seat belts and airbags can also cause problems, and this means that this is why we really have to watch the way people are um, wearing them, that they should be worn appropriately. So when it's worn properly, that seatbelt actually is on the iliac spines of the pelvis, and it goes against the hip joints. If it is too high, it actually squeezes the abdominal organs into great vessels against the spine when the car decelerates. So this is where you can get a lot of that tearing that is going to occur. With that, we can also realize that bladder injuries, particularly to our pregnant um, patients, um, who adjust the lap belt for comfort. And it's not an uncommon thing for, for um, our pregnant females to adjust that lap belt for the comfort area. Open abdominal injuries, this is where some type of foreign object has entered into the abdomen and it opens up the peritoneal cavity to the outside world. So think of these again, these are nothing more than penetrating injuries and these can be very deceiving. Therefore, you have to maintain that high index of suspicion for other injuries, look for internal damages to the organ, look for potential life threats. Don't forget to deal with the, what's the velocity of the object to actually help you predict the amount of damage to the tissue. You know, you're breaking those things down, particularly looking at things like maybe low velocity, maybe things such as knives or um, some type of hand-powered objects where medium velocity injuries are going to be something maybe from a smaller caliber, caliber handgun, um, high velocity dealing with large weapons, you know, high-powered rifles or higher-powered handguns. Um, you know, when these high and medium velocity injuries occur, there is a temporary wound. So it actually comes in and it stretches that skin and it stretches all the muscles. So there's actually a cone of injury that occurs. This is a temporary cavity. Once that has occurred, and this, this usually also has a problem with cavitation, meaning that with cavitation, um, maybe the bullet is moving around um, and it is actually starting to produce more damage. Well, what happens with that projectile is it starts to cavitate. Um, we're transferring that pressure wave into uh, the tissues. So as a result, that temporary cavity stretches out those organs, makes that path a little bit bigger, and then it snaps back. So we usually consider the pathway as being the big damage, but don't forget to consider that we also have to deal with those temporary wound channels that occur. Bleeding can really uh, be something that may hide the fact that, that objects went further and deeper into the peritoneal cavity than other uh, issues. So, you know, we see that blood and we're just not sure what may have been there. Anytime the, a patient has an injury at or below that xiphoid process, you have to assume that both the thoracic area and the peritoneal cavities have been violated. And again, if we break that diaphragm, if that is punctured, you may be introducing 
more blood into the thoracic area and it can cause also a potential problem for breathing you know that airway breathing circulation issue that we have to go back through eviscerations is where you have the bowel is actually protruding from the peritoneum and this can be something that's pretty painful it's very very shocking when you see it for the first time um, the best way I could describe it would be sausage links that um, really is just looks like they're, they're all curled up. Now, you don't want to press down on the patient's abdomen and you don't want to push anything back in. Um, you do need to cut the clothing close to the wound. Um, this can become also a little problem for crime scene issues because you're trying your best to um, help the patient. But at the same time, do not put the scissors right inside that wound. You're going to have to cut around so that you can preserve any uh, evidence that may be there as well. Don't pull any clothing that may be stuck to the wound or that wound channel because it can make things a whole heck of a lot worse. Usually you're talking about significant abdominal injury is going to cause some tachycardia because as we said earlier, you're talking about a lot of blood loss. There may be evidence of shock, so check for that tachycardia. Look for that pale, cold, moist skin. Check out their mental status. Um, look for any distension or reasons why. Um, if you take up when you take that blood pressure, find out whether or not it is it is low. Look for that uh, narrowing pulse pressure. Again, may give you an indication early on that there could be a problem with shock. Um, make sure that with these folks that, you know, you're paying attention to those underlying structures. And the bruising that goes around that umbilical area, which is called a Collins sign, usually pretty predictive of some type of uh, significant internal abdominal hemorrhage that's occurring. Hollow organs often have delayed signs and symptoms. So these are things that are... Um, going to uh, you know be delayed a little bit they're still going to be painful but it becomes the painful part always is is um, going to be a concern for it getting worse right so as the contents are spilling into the abdominal cavity this makes things a whole lot worse and it is very toxic um, this is acidic liquid that um, is entering into the peritoneal cavity and infection may take a few days to actually set in, so it can become a huge problem. Now, both penetrating and blunt trauma um, may cause the organs to pop, which is really releasing fluids and air. Penetrating trauma usually causes more direct injury, so here's where you start finding lacerations and punctures. Again, we're talking that these are hollow organs, so it kind of makes sense that they pop, if there's a lot of pressure put to them. Free air into that peritoneal cavity produces pain. And usually this is um, indicates that a hollow organ or some type of maybe a loop of bile was actually perforated. If not rapidly identified and repaired, this is where people can develop septic shock um, and this is where they've had that severe infection. Solid organ um, organs are going to bleed significantly and we talked about that a little bit earlier so it can become a little bit difficult to identify um, from that physical exam because patients um, may not be experiencing significant pain 
Um, but you, you really need to watch because sometimes these solid organs are going to slowly ooze blood, which can then cause pain to incre increase over time. The liver, being the largest organ in the abdomen, is pretty vascular and really can contribute to a lot of this hypoperfusion problem if it's injured. So um, you also have to worry it can be fractured by that lower right rib uh, because of where it's located at. And this may actually cause a problem for some form of a penetrating trauma. The spleen and the pancreas, pretty vascular as well. And they are both prone to um, heavy bleeding and um, lacerations. And they can also be punctured as well. If the diaphragm is at any time um, ruptured, loops of bowel can herniate into that thoracic cavity. And this is where our folks, as I was saying earlier, are going to have a problem with their breathing problem. They're going to have breathing issues. And this is going to be dyspnea. Usually it's going to be our biggest issue. Now, the kidneys also can be impacted or penetrated by trauma and have significant amount of blood loss. You may find that um, folks may be complaining of hematuria and blood could be visible on inspection of the urinary meatus, which is indicating there's been significant trauma um, to the genotourinary system. So basically, the GU system, if you're looking for blood, uh, particularly at the, for guys, if you're looking at blood at the tip of the penis, this is really indicating there's been a significant problem. So what do you look for? Right. Well, first off, if we're dealing with this, these folks as patient assessment, the cause of the injury may be apparent, but, you know, you really have to um, take a look at the patient, find out about your assessment. Things can be overwhelming at this point because the uh, more critical injuries or the airway breathing circulation injuries are going to to uh, take preference. And sometimes these abdominal injuries hide and they can develop and worsen over time, making reassessment a little critical. These are things that we recognize in the healthcare system that are pretty critical. So one of those things that has been moving forward and is primarily seen in, in, in the systems that are doing this, uh, meaning the EMS systems that are doing this, is that you're probably talking with this being at the ALS level. And that would be performing an ultrasound and performing the ultrasound to see whether or not that free fluid is in the abdomen so that it's something that is not being missed and it can be readily identified. Information can be relayed to that trauma center and these folks can get the ultimate care that they need. Um, but I digress. Just wanted to bring that up as something that, you know, this is where we're heading in the EMS industry. Always make sure that during your primary assessment, you're checking for responsiveness. Remember that that altered mental status may be a key factor to could be a head injury, but could also indicate that this could be um, something that's leading down the, the pathway of shock. That's why you got to evaluate their pulse. Check that skin color and temperature as you're checking for that pulse and determine potentially what stage of shock they're in, right? So we want to know whether or not they're in early or late stages of shock if we want to know that they're in compensated or decompensated shock. And remember, the hallmark there is decompensated shock is going to be a drop in that blood pressure. Find out about um, the history 
Let's find out if uh, this, you know, if the patient's awake. Let's make sure that we find out about any type of nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea. Um, let's get uh, remove some of those loosen or loosen those clothes to be able to expose the injured regions of the body and inspect the area. Make sure that we're removing the clothes to prevent damage to exposed tissues. So you don't want to just yank that stuff off and find out that there's um, organs lying underneath there. Look for the presence of contusions and abrasions. Look for punctures. Look for penetrations. Look for any type of burns. You want to make sure that you palpate the area for tenderness, and you're typically doing this in all four quadrants. Um, if you localize a pain or tenderness to a specific abdomen, you need to make sure that it is appropriately documented. And treat those lacerations just as you normally would with um, the appropriate dressings. Now, um, when you're examining that abdominal area, make sure that you're starting by palpating the quadrants as furthest away from the quadrant that's exhibiting any types of signs and symptoms of being an injury, having any type of pain. And then you can move around. Um, if you find a life-threatening issue, pretty much you need to stop and treat it immediately. And look for the mechanism of injury. What is really there to suggest um, an isolated abdominal injury, or are we looking at something that is going to be multi-system trauma? If you're investigating what's going on and you uh, have identified that there is an open wound, a penetrating wound, you always need to check around to see whether or not there's one on the opposite side. Again, our job is not to um, identify what is an entry wound and what's an exit wound, but to identify all the punctures and penetrations that we can find on the patient. Make sure we stabilize any impaled objects. So if there's still a knife that is there, make sure that we um, stabilize that object as best we can. And of course, as we have said in previous segments, that reassessment of these folks is going to occur every five to 15 minutes, depending on the severity of the patient. It's pretty much a common thing. But um, again, I, I find more and more that uh, with automated blood pressure cuffs and pulse oxes, everything being in one system now, that usually what I see happening is, is that people are getting their blood pressures and their vitals taken every five minutes. So make sure that that's not just the only reassessment that you're doing, that you're finding out other issues that have ongoing. How's their breathing doing? How are their breath sounds still going? Um, how is their abdominal sounds? Do we still have bowel sounds? If you um, are treating specifically, looking at closed versus opened, you know, closed abdominal injuries, make sure that we put the patient in a position of comfort. We want to make sure we apply high flow oxygen and treat them for shock. These are folks that because they may not be able to move quickly or move very well, then we should really get them in a supine position and put them on a backboard and make sure that um, we're monitoring everything for shock appropriately. With open abdominal injuries, you know, maintain that high risk of suspicion for any type of unseen blood loss. We're going to make sure that we um, apply a dry sterile dressing to all open wounds. But when it gets to anything that may have any type of evisceration, then that means that we have to cover those organs with a moist sterile dressing. And then we also want to make sure that we can put maybe something like a saran wrap or a plastic 
that is uh, going over that area to try to keep all that temperature, uh, the temperature in and keep everything nice, moist and warm. Now, if we go a little south um, from the from this part of the abdominal area, now we're going to get into the pelvis. And here now we're talking about the um, GU system. And this is where you have things that are talking about reproductive functions as well as waste discharge. So organs here are located in the abdomen. Now the kidneys are pretty solid. The ureters, the bladder, and the urethra are going to be hollow organs. So the genital system controls the reproductive process. And as we should know, that the male genitalia lie outside the pelvic cavity except for the prostate gland and the seminal vessels. The female genitalia are contained entirely within the pelvis except for the vulva, the clitoris, and the labia. Injuries that can occur here, you know, you hear all the time about, particularly in football players, they talk about a forceful blow that has occurred to the kidney area. Or you hear if you're talking um, contact sports such as, you know, real big contact sports such as boxing or UFC type thing, right? you're talking about people get these kidney blows. So this forceful blow or penetrating injury is often what causes some type of kidney problem. So um, it is something that you need to suspect and find out about any type of abrasion, laceration, maybe some contusion that's appearing there on the flank. Um, and you may also see that there's hematomas to that flank region as well. The urinary bladder can rupture and here urine spills into the surrounding tissues. So look for any problems with blunt injuries, particularly to that lower abdomen. Penetrating wounds of that lower abdomen are going to um, you know, be in the perineum, which can actually cause, uh, can directly involve the urinary bladder. In males, you're talking a lot of uh, deceleration forces from a, um, a motor vehicle crash and it can actually shear the bladder from the urethra. In late trimesters of uh, pregnant females, you know, bladder injuries increase from displacement by that uterus. So with, with external male genitalia injuries, these are usually a lot of soft tissue wounds, very painful, um, and is typically a pretty great concern for the patient. Rarely is it to be life-threatening, but it does need to be given a priority over more severe wounds, um, or I'm sorry, it should not be given a priority over more severe wounds unless you see that there is significant bleeding. Now, the female genitalia, um, if you're talking internal, here's where you're talking the uterus, the ovaries, fallopian tubes. These are very rarely damaged, and um, they sit deep into the pelvis and are pretty well protected. Now, the exception here is usually for a pregnant uterus. And the uterus enlarges substantially and this then rises out of the pelvis. So injuries here can really become serious because the uterus has a lot of blood supply, rich blood supply during pregnancy. And we also have to keep the fetus in mind. And with with females that are pregnant, everybody freaks out about it and with good reason, but treat mom. That's usually the ultimate thing is to treat mom. Now, external genitalia, things such as the vulva, the clitoris, and major and minor uh, labia are at the entrance to the vagina. 
Very rich nerve supplies, so injuries here are very painful. We also need to, unfortunately, consider sexual assault and pregnancy. Um, you know, ask the patient about some of this stuff. They may be able to open up and tell you about this. It is becomes very difficult to get some information out of both male and female. Um, a lot of times when you say, you know, tell me about your sexual history. But a good rule of thumb when you're talking about any female of childbearing age, they're gonna you have to assume that they're pregnant until proven otherwise. If you have any external bleeding and trauma, you can use a sterile sanitary napkin or a pad that can be applied to the labia, but do not insert anything into the vagina. This includes your fingers or tampons. Right? We don't need to put anything in there. We are just going to apply um, a sterile absorbent napkin so that we can help collect that blood. Biggest issues that occur with assessment of these areas is, of course, you know, um, embarrassment. Nobody wants to, number one, do the exam, and number two, have the exam done. It's not always the most positive thing in the world for anybody involved, but you have to maintain professional presence and provide some privacy during the assessment. So when possible, we would like to have that EMS provider be of the same gender to perform the assessment. Look for the blood on patient's undergarments and only inspect the external genitalia when there are complaints. It doesn't have to be something that you do each and every time, but you do need to make sure there's no blood there during a regular physical exam of a multi-system trauma patient, right? So this may mean that you don't have to um, get very um, in-depth but you have to make sure that when you're removing the clothes, this may be a good opportunity for you to look at the undergarments to see if there's any blood, and that helps with that. So look for any types of external signs of injury. Um, getting a good history, find out about common complaints, particularly with GI issues, um, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. You may find out that they could be complaining of hematuria, which is going to be blood in the urine. Um, hemoptysis, which is going to be, um, you know, if you're talking about vomiting up blood, could have abnormal bowel or bladder habits that have occurred. Find out about how they have been urinating as well. You know, do they notice there's any blood in their urine? And again, going back to find out particularly about their medical history and do they take any type of anticoagulants. Kidney damage um, may not be really obvious for us on inspection, but we can see signs of shock. You may see the hematurias described earlier, and in these cases, we're just going to treat these folks for shock, transport them immediately, and make sure we monitor vital signs and route to the hospital. With the urinary bladder, if you see blood at the urethral opening for both male and females, this is usually a sign of some type of lower abdominal, pelvis, or perineum injury. And again, we have to um, consider any injuries that could present us with a shock issue, get them transported promptly, and monitor those vital signs. With external male genitalia, really a few general roles for us to deal with. Um, they're going to be painful, so try to make the patient as comfortable as possible. Use sterile, moist compresses to cover the areas that have been stripped of skin. Apply direct pressure with a with dry, sterile dressing to control the bleeding. And never move or manipulate foreign objects that have been placed in the urethra.
If there's any evolved parts, you need to make sure that those are taken with you to the hospital as well. If they have an evulsion of the, of the skin of the penis, um, then you need to make sure that you wrap the penis in a soft, sterile dressing um, and transport promptly. Use any type of direct pressure and any type of false skin that may have come off, then we need to make sure that we're going to preserve that as best we can. If there's amputation of the penile shaft, uh, managing bleeding is going to be our number one priority using some direct pressure. Um, don't ever apply a constricting device. And usually surgical reconstruction is possible if you can locate, locate that amputated part. Make sure you wrap it in a moist sterile dressing, place it in a bag, and transport it in a cold container without directly touching any ice. If there are some connective tissues that are surrounding the um, erectile tissue and is severely damaged, the shaft can be fractured or severely angulated. Um, sometimes those things are going to require some type of surgical repair, and there's usually a lot of intense pain, bleeding into the tissues, and of course, one of the biggest things would be fear. Now, accidental lacerations of the head of the penis is associated with a lot of heavy bleeding. So in this case, you want to make sure that you're going to apply direct pressure. Um, the skin or the uh, uh, foreskin can get caught on a, in a zipper of pants. Not really a common event, but if, uh, if it does happen, you know, if a small segment of the zipper is involved, you can usually try to unzip the pants. But if it's a longer segment, then you're going to have to probably use some heavy scissors to cut the zipper out of the pants. And uh, this to make the patient a little bit more comfortable, things are not going to be needing to be hanging there. Um, with urethral injuries, here you're talking about lacerations to urethra. These could be straddle injuries, you know, maybe from a bike uh, pelvic injuries, any type of penetrating wounds to the peritoneum. Look for um, avulsions to the skin of the scrotum. These, this may damage the scrotal contents. So you want to preserve, again, the evolved skin with some moist, sterile dressing. Direct blows to the scrotum can result in rupture of the, of the testicles or um, have a lot of accumulation of blood around the testes. So you may have to apply an ice pack to the scrotal area during transport. With female genitalia, treating these lacerations, abrasions, and avulsions with moist sterile compresses using the local, uh, using some direct pressure, local direct pressure to that area, and hold these dressings in place, usually with a diaper-styled bandage. Don't pack anything into the vagina. Um, leave any foreign objects um, in place after stabilizing with bandages. And if injuries are pretty painful but not life-threatening, threatening, um, then they still are going to need to have in-hospital evaluation that is performed. Common complaint is, uh, for a lot of times for, uh, for patients, is uh, rectal bleeding. And this can come from the rectum itself, and it may present as blood is uh, soaking through their undergarments, or it may be something that has actually been passed into the toilet with a bowel movement. Now, there are a lot of different issues that could come up with this, but one of the biggest causes that we worry about is going to be sexual assault. There could be some rectal foreign bodies. Um, hemorrhoids are big, um, literally. Um, colitis and ulcers in the digestive tract can also cause some of these problems. So if there's a lot of rectal bleeding, um, this can also occur after hemorrhoid surgery. It can potentially lead to a significant blood loss and shock.
Now, before we close things out, one of the last areas that we need to um, identify here is sexual assault. And it's an unfortunate thing to discuss. Um, I think that we're in the uh, Me Too movement, and that has still continued. And, um, you know, it's nice to know that um, people are starting to recognize the issues with, with uh, sexual assault that has, that has been become commonplace, unfortunately has become commonplace, and now people are standing up and saying no. And usually it is victims that are generally women. Um, it can involve men, and we know, unfortunately, in the newspapers all the time that it also is involving children as victims. For us, there's little that we can do beyond providing some compassion and transport. We want to make sure that there's no multi-system trauma, and we don't need to, uh, you know, do we need to treat him for shock? Our responsibility is to assure that we can treat them, treat them for their physical injuries. We don't need to examine the genitalia unless there's a lot of bleeding that requires application of a dressing. Uh, make sure that we're following through with our appropriate protocols and procedures. Shield the patient from any type of curious onlookers. Document the history assessment, what you've done um, as far as treatment and what that response has been. Any crime scene policy that may be put in um, to perspective, absolutely, we need to make sure that we follow those things. Make sure that the patient doesn't wash, bathe, shower, douche, urinate, defecate until a physical exam has been done. If there's been oral penetration that has occurred, advise the patient not to eat, drink, brush their teeth, or use any type of mouthwash until after a physical exam has been performed. We should really handle the patient's clothing as little as possible. If you can, make sure that you get these articles of clothing. If you have had to remove them, get them into either um, an evidence bag that maybe the police have been able, I'm sorry, law enforcement has been able to provide to you where you need to put these in paper bags. Don't use plastic bags because mold can grow and really destroy the evidence. So make sure that the person who is caring for them is going to be, we would like them to be the same gender as the patient, and treat the medical injuries and provide that privacy support and reassurance. A lot of areas, a lot of hospitals now have uh, you know, sexual assault nurse examiners, the SANE nurses. Um, there's usually a lot of resources that are readily available in a lot of communities to help folks deal with these things and make sure that they're not going through this stuff alone. Um, your job, again, is not to be the investigator. Your job is to take care of the patient and their medical complaints and their medical issues. And, um, you know, our system is growing stronger every day to help these folks. And um, as uh, you know, if you go back and take a look at um, psychiatric emergencies, that one of those things that is big in there is post-traumatic stress disorder. And that is something that um, these folks may end up be dealing with for um, a long time into the future. But we hope that our response to them is positive and um, they are strong individuals who will live another day to fight um, all of these things and, and hopefully they continue to reduce the number of assaults that are occurring and um, power to the people, I guess is the best way you can put it. All right. Well, enough of that. I was trying to find a positive way to bring that back up, but uh, I think I'm just going to say, hey, we're done. Uh, this is it for the abdominal area and the gastrointestinal GU area. 
as it relates to trauma. So I hope you got something out of this, and that'll be it for this Tim's Takeaway, and we'll see you on the next one. Have a great one.